occupational therapist and a certified aging in place specialist. And this is the Home Designs for Life podcast, your resource for aging in place and universal design. For more resources on aging in place, please visit my website, homedesignsforlife.com. There you will find my blog and more valuable information on how you can age in place and create a home for life. And here with us today, we have Julia Gibson. She is 77 years old, and she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back in 1989. She has been diagnosed with primary progressive MS, and she is here with us today to discuss what her life has been like with MS and how she is aging in place in a multi-generational household with her daughter and her daughter's family. Thank you, Julia, for being with us today. So Julia, tell us about how you were first diagnosed back in 1989 with a multiple sclerosis. I was having difficulty with walking and I was reluctant to pursue it. I went to see a neurologist as I was referred to one, he tested me for a brain tumor. And once that came up negative, I was so nervous, I decided I didn't want to go back to pursue any further diagnosis. So I decided on my own, well, obviously the problem was with my foot, so I went to a podiatrist. Find anything relating to feet? Well, he took one look at me and said, you need to see a neurologist. I thought, oh dear, back to that again. Then I saw an internist and was complaining about headaches, which later I find out is associated with MS. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, I tell you what, we're going to test you for all the things that I can fix. And then we're going to look at the things that I can't fix. So the first list was relatively quick. And then he started on the list he couldn't fix, and he already had a pretty good suspicion and tested me for MS and found that that was the case. We had an MRI. MRIs were new at that time, and they were quite laborious. They were like almost two hours long, quite frustrating there. Anyway, through the MRI. And then, of course, they want to give you a spinal tap, And I said, what's the point of that? And he said, well, you probably don't need to have it because I feel comfortable with our diagnosis with the MRI. So I said, fine, don't need to go in for any spinal tap. And he told me at that time, I will always remember, he called me at 7.30 at night to let me know that, yes, he confirmed and agreed with the diagnosis of MS. But at the time, there was absolutely nothing out there. So he told me just to kind of live with it. And they kept me on the phone forever. My only concern at that time, which was not nervousness or being afraid, I was just glad that we could put a name on what was going on. And that was the sum and total of it because I didn't know anything about MS. So... Anyway, we 
got off the phone and he told me that to come back in a year. And that was that. So at least then I could start putting pieces together and went all the way back to approximately seven years old when I remember distinctly what the impression was. Probably my first uh, encounter with the disease or my first exacerbation was getting into a hot tub of water for a bath and my inside started to spasm. It's a really a weird sensation. Didn't know what it was. I didn't think it was normal because one of the reasons why I remember it so well. And so then from there on, life was normal. My progression was extremely slow, which gave me plenty of time for deny and deny. And then later in life, I always knew I didn't like exercise. I exercise just didn't feel good, not knowing why, of course. But uh, other than that, things went on pretty much as normal. So the one thing I would have to say is uh, in my 30s, I, was, I finally was able to get pregnant. I never felt so good. I couldn't understand why women complained about pregnancy because I never felt so good. Well, come to find out, that's the time when MS takes a break and you feel like a normal person outside of pregnancy. Right. And so that was the first time I really felt like a normal person. And it was great. It was just wonderful. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Then after pregnancy, you're still holding on to that normalcy, for lack of a better term. Through lactation, but once you finish lactation and pregnancy is really put to rest, the MS comes back and it can come back hard. Not in my case, but we did go back to progressive. So, but I remember that normalcy feeling. It was uh, it was quite exhilarating. But oh. all right, well, anyway, going on from there. As I approached, started to approach menopause, which came early for me, MS kind of stepped up. And after I was diagnosed, I was able to start putting pieces together there again and seeing what was MS and what was menopausal, which that's when they, they things started stepping up a little regarding the MS. And I was not able to walk very well was on a five-mile hike, and I couldn't finish it. I was learning to be a school bus driver, and that was in the days when they had big old buses with no power brakes, no power steering, and you had to clutch. Uh And uh, after I would come off a training session, I couldn't walk. My left leg wouldn't move. I ended up absolutely not having the ability to use the left leg at all for a period of time. And Julia, um, how old were you at this point? What you said uh, menopause came early for you. 40. In your 40s, yes. okay. So, like I said, that's a, a menopause kind of stepped things up regarding MS. So, I remember one time when I had a, an exacerbation, my left arm wouldn't work. And I thought, ooh, that's really strange. 
But see, I, I never told anybody anything about this. I always, because they always resolved. You got a little bit of rest and it resolved itself. Uh, you took a break and, and it would come back. One time I was taking a load of laundry to the uh, laundry room and I put the basket on the machine and I looked down. I had absolutely no idea what to do with it. Had absolutely no idea how to start the machine, how to work it. So I thought, oh dear, uh, this is a time where I could capitalize on being panicked or frightened or freaked out. But I simply chose to go in and lay down and rest for a little bit. And it came back. So I went out and was able to carry on. But that was a little bit of a rude awakening regarding MS. But that didn't happen very often. Okay. And when did you get to the point where you were uh, having difficulty performing your daily activities of daily living, like dressing and bathing, and then also tell us about your functional mobility, how that changed. Because I know at the time you were not in a wheelchair and now you are in a power wheelchair. So tell us how you transitioned. Again, it was uh, very slow. It gave me a lot of time to prepare myself mentally, knowing what was going to happen. I, I finally got a doctor to tell me that, yes, indeed, through all these years, I was going to end up with my future being quadriplegic. Now, that's a future to look forward to, I tell you. decided to um, get prepared. Ended up getting a wheelchair. And uh, I remember after the gentleman brought it in and set it up and we worked out the logistics of it, then my husband said, aren't you going to sit in it? And I said, heavens, no, I'm not there yet. Sit in it for a period of time. But then as my walking grew shorter and shorter, five miles went down to four, three, two, one. Now we're taking in steps. I can't go to the mall anymore. I'm looking for a place to sit. I have my furniture strategically placed in my house so I could grab a hold uh, of it for to keep me moving strategically using my arms for bounce. So then it, it started coming down. And so now I'm spending a little more time in the wheelchair and a little more time. And one thing, one limb would get weaker. I used to crochet. Then my left hand started to go, so I could not crochet anymore. And just little things one by one over the years would uh, slip away. So, for instance, today I have the use of my right arm only. The other three limbs are in varying degrees of disability. My left arm, uh, my left hand isn't worth much. It can't hold or function. I do have my elbow and my shoulder for lifting. Uh, I need that for transferring. So I still have the ability to transfer. I can still dress myself. I, I can still pretty much in my own fashion, in my own way, dress myself. I'm down to about five minutes standing, holding on to something mm-hmm. and pacing off the minutes for exercise. And I, I do some exercises to try and keep what I have moving 
because if you don't use it, you lose it kind of. Right. And tell us, well, a little bit about your personal life. So you were a stay-at-home mom. You are a wife. Uh, Well, now you're a widow. I'm sorry. uh, Bill passed away a few years ago. You were a passionate art collector. And tell us about your current living situation. Today, I live with uh, my my caregiver. My husband was wonderful. He was actually my prince. He, He had no problem. In fact, it was interesting because going way back before I was diagnosed, we had gotten married our second time around and he married me with two small children he was 14 years older and so he he he, he took on quite a burden and then four years after that i was diagnosed so here he is with two small children Mm -hmm. and a wife that's going to need a caregiver Mm -hmm. and he never flinched he was just so so wonderful so now he's taking care of me and then as time goes on with him being older he's starting to have health issues and so all of a sudden our roles are flipping and i'm trying to care for him and he's trying to care for me mm-hmm. so at one point in time he ended up in the hospital and my youngest daughter who was still in school came to the hospital she was living in um in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and she came down from school with her husband and her uh, two small children, took him out of the hospital against doctor's orders, packed him in the car with an oxygen tank, gave me a half hour to pack, took us back to Ann Arbor. She was doing a fellowship in the VA hospital, put him in the hospital where she could monitor his care Mm -hmm. and took care of him took care of me, and that was it. We never went back to living on our own again. We lived with my daughter from then on, and bless their hearts, they uh, didn't take on one old parent. They took on the both of us, and we were quite a pair to draw to. I tell wow. Well, but, that's, uh, that's a beautiful story. Yeah, so, it was, uh, she, she didn't think twice about it, and I've been surrounded with some pretty great heroes, I tell you. So... Mr. Gibson passed away, mm-hmm. so now I'm here with my daughter and the family. And I tell you what, the, the whole basic one line, one word is attitude. And living with the family helps you stay younger to a degree. In other words, you're not able to sit back, and I, I was never one for pity parties or feeling sorry for myself. You, you can't fall into that. You just have to fight that with everything that's in you and to try and stay above. Honestly, I think that's one of the basic reasons why I'm still here and still being a viable person to a degree as much as I can, considering I've been carrying around this load of MS for most of my life. Right. And tell us, what are the modifications that were made to the home that you live in so that you could have your independence, but also receive help and participate in caregiving duties? Because I know that you have three grandchildren and you've helped out quite a bit. So, so tell us about how your home has been modified. I don't have all the, all the apps and the helpers that I need. 
because of affordability, honestly. For instance, I don't have a walk-in shower in this house. My daughter in, I have two daughters. One is in Missouri and she built a home and she's in a position where she could tell me, ask me what I wanted and what I needed and she built it. I have a beautiful walk-in shower. I have a total handicapped bathroom and my bedroom in her house. In this house, we haven't been quite so fortunate, but we make it work. You just figure out what you need. Now, with my husband being a veteran, mm-hmm. we were able to get a lot of things and ideas from the VA who supplied all of the things that he needed, which I just used for myself after he passed and took advantage of all of those. For instance, the bed rail that stands up and that helps me to get in and out of bed. And another thing that I, and I don't know where I got the idea, is I bought a piece of elastic, firm, tight elastic, wrapped it around my mattress and I use it as a pulley. So when I want to roll from side to side, Mm -hmm. I'm able to use this elastic strip that I put around the bed and I can pull myself because I'm not able to turn my body without help. And that's from my arms uh, because my legs are pretty much useless. So, okay. That's Uh, very innovative. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It it was. And uh, I've had when people come into the house and I tell them about it, they note that and, try to pass that on because it really has helped greatly. What uh, about your bathroom inside? Well, tell us about your the immediate space where you live that gives you privacy from the rest of the house and the family. When we first moved into this house, we didn't have in-law quarters, obviously. So my kids gave Bill and I the garage And so we had it modified, and I put in uh, a toilet. I wasn't able to put in, we didn't have room enough for a bathroom per se, but put in a toilet, which was a high, of course, I put in a handicapped toilet, so it was higher, and put the bars on either side of the toilet. There's no bars inside the the area of the the toilet, but I used the door frame, and I used the bar to transfer bathing i'm not able to get into their shower anymore because it's a step up you have to step up to get into the to the basin of the shower to the floor of the shower and um so i'm not able to do that anymore so i converted i have put in a bar sink in the garage and i bathe from the bar sink it's it works fine and i feel like i'm clean and I can do a, a sufficient job, and it works. So I'm glad of that. Now, where I need help, the things that I cannot do anymore is, of course, without having a shower, I'm not able to wash my hair. My okay. daughter throws my head in the sink, and we carry on. And uh, I cannot clip my toenails anymore. There's just lots of little things you can't mm-hmm. do. But for the most part, I, I'm... In, in pretty good shape, uh, considering taking care of myself. Yes, I can feed myself. 
I don't need any special equipment for that because like I uh, mentioned, I have my right hand functioning. Mm. However, coming to the fact of trying to use a knife and fork, no, that doesn't work. I only have the right hand, so there's no such thing as a knife. I do kind of depend on my kids to make it easier for me to eat by cutting my food if necessary. Now, with the bathroom situation, is modifying the shower something that you or your family has in uh, your future plans? Yes, we looked into getting one bathroom completely remodeled. In this particular case, it's a little bit of an older house. We had to completely start at the door. The door wasn't even adequate to get a wheelchair through it. So mm. we would have to cut, we'd have to start there and cut the door larger. Right. Enclosed tub and shower, and that would all have to be removed. Uh, so we just haven't been in a position to afford it in this house yet because it was a, a considerable remodel right down to every degree. Right, so, right. Because with the power and, wheelchair, you definitely need to have at least a 32 inch clearance. Correct, yeah, and uh, we could, I can't even get into it. And we're a little bit lazy because the sink is working fine. So I feel, like I said, that I'm able to clean sufficiently that I um, am comfortable with it. So it's a work. Uh, right, and you've made it work, and that's what matters. Yeah. As long as you're you're functional and you're satisfied with what you're able to do and the tools that you have, then it works and you're independent with bathing. Now if you want something else and you can afford it and you can afford to, you know, hire a contractor and make these changes, then, you know, that's even better. But until then, and you've been just, like you said, what matters is the attitude that you have. And that is one of the things that I've learned as an occupational therapist over the years is that it didn't matter what the person's problems were, what their diagnoses were, what mattered was their attitude. And you would, I would have patients that had a, a, were in a terrible state of health or very handicapped, but their attitude, if it was good, life wasn't that bad. And I've had the opposite people that really compared to others didn't have so much disability, but it was the end of the world. One story that I want to say, because I've known Julia for many years, I was her occupational therapist about, what was it, Julia? Seven years ago, right? Or yes. five years? Correct. Yeah, about five yeah. years ago. Yeah. And I worked with Julia for probably over a year, right? We knew each other about mm -hmm. two years and we became good friends. And when I was moving from Florida and I moved to Colorado, uh, Julia, she got on a city bus, okay? And she, mind you, she's in a power wheelchair. She went to the mall. Oh, no, it's a manual. I don't, I have a power wheelchair. I haven't gotten myself into my power wheelchair yet. I stick to the manual because of yes. the exercise. Like, again, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. So I... Try to stay mobile and your wheelchair. Okay, thanks for correcting me. 
Okay, yeah. so so she went in her manual wheelchair, got got on the city bus, went to the yeah. mall, and she bought a throw blanket for myself and my family because we were moving to Colorado and we were going to have cold weather. And it was the most beautiful throw blanket. It was white and it was knitted and I still have it. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And we used it all the time. I always thought of you and, but that just shows you how independent you've always been. Yeah. I, I try. Yes. Right. I tried trying to be so, but no, I, I have the power chair. It's sitting right here. And my physical therapist, Lori, bless her little heart. She says, well, it's time we started moving you into the power chair only if just to give your body a break. You're working hard, but now you're at an age where we need to, what is working as long as possible, because the time's going to come when I'm not going to be able to transfer. And then it's going to be a whole different ball game. But uh, right now she said, I want to preserve your shoulders for lifting. So we're going to put you in the power chair and give your shoulders a break from pushing in the wheelchair. So, And that's important. And I'm glad Lori's doing that with you because that's just as important since you may have to transition into that for more hours of the day, Mm -hmm. then you definitely want to learn now Mm -hmm. and be comfortable with it than when you really need it. Yeah, it's like learning to drive all over again. (laughs) Well, Julia, I so much enjoyed our conversation today. And I know that our listeners will learn a lot from you. You have such a powerful story and you're just a fighter. And we can all take a page from your book. Uh, Oh, it's been the only thing I can say that uh, helped me greatly was the time allotted for denial. My progression was slow, and so I got to have uh, time for just deny, deny. and uh, But then you come back to reality, and, and uh, you're ready to face it and move. Right, and, and you said it. you face it, and you move on, and like, you're, we all have challenges in life. Yours uh-huh. is MS, for, perhaps uh-huh. for someone else it's Parkinson's, perhaps uh-huh. someone else it's mental illness. So our issues are all different, but Uh thank you so much for being with us today. And it was just such a great story and inspirational too. Well, thank you very much, Janet. I've enjoyed your friendship and I've appreciated your help and your guidance every inch of the way. And here we are. And thank you. Thank you, Julia.